2021 was better than average on many fronts. Stock market returns, economic growth, policy stimulus, and inflation all ran hot while volatility was historically cool in the market. But 2022 hasn't started off all that positive. So what's breaking the bull market? Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of January 24th, 2022. And this week has started off with a bang. The markets are down significantly from their highs. We actually went into a standard correction territory on the S&P 500 this Monday. Yeah, there is a lot going on, a lot of volatility, and it's Fed week all at the same time. And it's hard to think of us being in a new year. 2022 looks pretty similar from a driver's perspective as 2021 did. COVID is spreading rapidly. Hospitalizations have been all the rise, although hopefully peaking at this point. Travel plans and events have been canceled and everyone is watching policymakers. Yes, that's such a good point. And last year, the markets were able to really navigate a number of those risks relatively unfazed. 2021 was the sixth best year for equities since 1990. And it was the ninth year during that time frame with a return above 25%. So a really strong year. And there were 70 days over the course of that year that were new record highs, which didn't quite set a record, but it was still, you know, a significantly good environment for equity investors. And this year's just starting out so differently. Yeah, but the the other side of this, maybe the positive side of there being very similar drivers to the economy and markets this year compared to last year is that there is a risky backdrop and there are big changes that markets are digesting. But at least in the near term, the next couple of months, the economic backdrop is still really robust. We're seeing economic and corporate fundamentals be really strong. And the hope is that that can sustain the economic recovery. And so from an investment perspective, we're still encouraging investors to really consider those fundamentals, both for the economy as a whole and for corporate profit growth and steady dividend yields to drive equity market returns in 2022. But at the same time, we also think that investors should be preparing for more muted gains and a more volatile investment environment than in years past. And we're already seeing it today. Less accommodative policy conditions from fiscal side and from the monetary side are consistent to us with a more mid-cycle economic environment. And that's also the backdrop where we can expect more market volatility. Absolutely. And so I think as good strategists, we should ask ourselves, what could go wrong? Or maybe on a you know, market volatility week like this one, we should say, what is going wrong for the markets? It's a great question. And I think it's a great timing as well. There are always key things for investors to think about in an environment. Over time, the market tends to move higher. But along the way, there are stumbling blocks for the market and it can send investors sometimes down a long list. So, so what are those things that we should be watching? Well, I think first on our list should be the Fed, if for no other reason than that, it's coming up this week. It always seems to be coming up and it's always on your list. So I'm not surprised. (laughs) Well, as we've said many, many times over the last couple of years, 
the Fed and monetary policy have been such an enormous support for market functioning. So for the markets and investors in general and, and for the economy. And so as the Fed aims to reduce its monetary policy support over the course of the year, for good reason, to try and fight some of the inflationary pressures we're seeing in the economy and to address the fact that although the labor market is constrained, in its constrained form, it's starting to heat up. So that's an environment that sort of lessening monetary policy environment where the markets are going to be sensitive. They're going to be sensitive to changes in liquidity, sensitive to expectations that interest rates are going to rise and sensitive to leverage in the economy, whether on the corporate side or the government side with government debt. Yes. And even though the Fed hasn't increased baseline interest rates just yet, and they probably won't until later this year, interest rates have already risen pretty significantly back to the highs of the last two years. 50 basis points increase actually since December in the U.S. benchmark 10-year treasury rate. And that's also caused the curve to flatten, which historically gets investors a little bit concerned about moving into the later part of an economic cycle and ever closer to a potential recession. Yeah, it's a very good point. And, and one of the things that we have been asked, you and I, Robert, the most over the past couple of months as the Fed has sort of transitioned from easier monetary policy to telegraphing tighter monetary policy is, shouldn't the Fed have already done this? You know, is the Fed behind the curve? And this flattening yield curve is, is one reason why investors ask that. And from our perspective, the answer is, yeah. And frankly, that was the point of the Fed's policy over the past couple of years is to allow the economy to run hot, to make up for some of the lower inflationary environment that we've seen in the last cycle and to try and recoup some of the wage growth that we didn't see much of in the last cycle. And the real risk for markets at this point is what if that policy of being behind the curve comes back to bite us and inflation doesn't recede. Now, I should say that our expectation, our team's expectation is that inflation, while very high right now, will start to recede over the course of the year. And that will allow the Fed to tighten policy on a gradual basis, which it said a lot that it's that's its preference. The challenge or the risk for markets will become if the Fed might have to raise rates too far, too fast, triggering some type of crisis in the markets. Now, again, that's not our base case, but it is a major risk for markets. One of the things on our list that might go wrong. It's possibly at the top of the list. Moving down to our next item and beyond the Fed, it's also a midterm election year. Yeah, and it's hard to see Democrats increasing their majority at this point. It's just not what tends to happen. And this has profound implications for policy, fiscal policy, you know, huge Republican gains in the 1994 and 2010 midterm elections resulted in six years of relative austerity under Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And that potential fiscal cliff, that inability to pass new spending could potentially impact or even hinder economic growth should the economy need more support. Right. And it's not necessarily that government spending is coming to an end. It's just less spending than perhaps markets and the economy have gotten used to. And then unrelated to those policy risks, monetary and fiscal policy, is something that we've talked about before on the program, China-US tensions. And they could escalate. Business activities, particularly those related to technological advancement, are seen as national strategy and security. And they could be sovereignty issues for both countries. And so, well, like an outright conflict is a long tail risk that isn't part of our base case. The risk that growth slows significantly in either region due to a power struggle or some sort of trade policy or private sector divestment is significant enough for us to be concerned about corporate profitability in that environment. 
Absolutely. And in the spirit of, you know, geopolitical risk never develops linearly, we also have the potential conflict between Russia and the Ukraine that's sort of on the back burner for, or I should say the front burner for policymakers at this time. And just goes to show that these risks that we can't anticipate for the markets on top of the ones that we can create a lot of uncertainty for investors. And so as we sort of put this list together, Robert, the real question is, how much will the stock market drop if you add all these things together and they all go wrong? Well, let us just bust out that crystal ball we always reference on this program. (laughs) It's tough to say, but potentially a lot. We've already experienced a standard correction, uh, and a lot of that downside volatility has actually been in tech and in growth stocks. And if you think about the market in general, stocks weren't particularly cheap before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, there was a lot of speculation and froth over the last 18 months or so. And so stocks still look pretty expensive, even with all the corporate profit growth. So potentially there there could be a big decline. Yeah, it's a good point. And I, I, I do want to just say that following a calm year like 2021, where we barely experienced a 5% decline over the course of the year, this feels really dramatic, right? And it is, right? That market volatility, especially pronounced market volatility is dramatic. It's, it's, it's meaningful for investors. And so the question that we've been asking ourselves and, and we've been hearing from investors is, are investors ready for that? And it's a good question to ask. And we've talked about this before on the program. Investor behavior is so key to strong performance. It can really make or break your ability to achieve your strategic investment goals over the long term, whether you're making good investment decisions or not. And anytime someone is putting market to work in times of extreme valuations, having a stock or an investment in even the strongest of business you know can produce a mediocre outcome for a period or a large reset, a pullback in the market. And depending on how you act, it can impact your portfolio pretty significantly. Yeah, what you're saying is that it's just very difficult to time markets. And if you expect market volatility, it can be a particularly important time to just take a step back, maybe you know, assess your risk tolerance and your goals as an investor and stay focused on those because timing the ups and downs and the unexpected is going to be extremely challenging. And on the same sort of wavelength, you said something earlier, Robert, that we sort of buried, but I think is worth calling out, which is that we're in this sort of middle phase of the economic cycle. And it's a tricky part of the cycle for investing because macro signals are turning from super positive to more medium. And medium is still good, right? But it means that those macro or cycle drivers aren't going to be as clear when you're making your asset class choices. And so instead, we have to focus on individual company profits, the characteristics that are going to create strong cash flow and profitability in order to choose the securities and strategies that are going to work. So it falls into the category of might be a stock picker's market for the next several months. And talking about those complex drivers of a stock's performance sounds like a perfect time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. Exactly. And in all, I think what we said just a few moments ago is the most salient point for investors here when it comes to bull market breaking activity. We're encouraging investors to stay invested. We are fully invested and using these moments of volatility as a tactical opportunity to add value in the strategies where we think there is some durable support from the economy. Focusing on things like diversification in your strategic goals as an investor can really create opportunity amid volatility. So 
We see equity still poised to outperform bonds in the coming months, but as equity market volatility picks up, bonds can also offer some resiliency in a portfolio. Yes. And in an upcoming episode, we are definitely going to talk about how you can position your portfolio, your fixed income portfolio for a rising rate environment. So let's focus on equities right now instead. We believe that qualitative assessments of secular themes and the macro backdrop are becoming important sources of portfolio resiliency. Yeah, that's very smart, Robert. Speak for, look for the you know big picture trends that are going to push a company's performance forward over the next few years and hopefully as well in the next couple of months, but taking a longer term perspective. And for that reason, we in our portfolios are leaning into cyclical themes and megatrends, those that benefit from improving economic growth. That includes value stocks and small caps and international developed equity. And we're also relying on active managers to identify companies that can generate generate outsized earnings, really security by security. Yes. And as discussed earlier today, Lauren, you mentioned that we're using these large resets, these pullbacks as an opportunity to add risk in areas of the market that we still feel are supported and could benefit later this year from fundamentals. If investors are looking for an opportunity to strategically invest or strategically pull back, I always personally like to watch market sentiment as a tool to help gauge the risk associated with a decline or the opportunity to purchase in the market. Right now, the mood of individual investors is pretty low. We'll get an update on Thursday. I'm not sure if it's going to hit an extreme yet, but anytime the market is declining as quickly and as far as it is now, the investment mood tends to sour pretty quickly. So I'd be looking for investor sentiment to reach panic levels before I really add more value to my portfolio. Well, coming up next, it's Fed week. And as we mentioned, we expect the Fed to signal strongly that it's going to begin tightening policy this year, both in terms of interest rate increases, as well as in allowing some balance sheet runoff, holding less securities over time as those securities mature. And both of those things have important implications for the fixed income markets, which we'll discuss in an upcoming episode. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website. That's newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. Hold on to your hats. Happy investing. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. 
This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.